Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lynn S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Today is Monday, April 20th, 2020. We are reading from the big book in the chapter of Vision for You. We're on page 151, and we're reading the paragraph, Now and Then a Serious Drinker. Today's readers are 12 Steps, Kathy C., 12 Traditions, Diane B., and readers of the text, Russ M., Elizabeth C., and Craig F. Their share ID for Sunday, yesterday's special edition, April the 19th, is 14468. OA Preamble. Ovaries Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors, and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Kathy C. to read the 12 steps. Please go ahead, Kathy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Kathy C. I am a compulsive overeater from Montreal, Canada. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service. I pass. Thank you, Kathy C. And Diane B. will read the 12 traditions. Please go ahead, Diane. Good morning. This is Diane B. from New Rochelle, New York. 
Twelve Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, our, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for the opportunity for service. I pass. Thank you, Diane B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're in chapter 11, A Vision for You, on page 151, the last paragraph, now and then a serious drinker. And Russ M., could you get us started, please? Good morning, then. Good morning, family. Russ M., Recover Compulsive Overeater. Now and then, a serious drinker being dry at the moment says, I don't miss it at all. Feel better, work better having a better time. As ex-problem drinkers, we smile at such sally. We know our friend is like a boy whistling in the dark to keep up his spirits. He fools himself. Inwardly, he would give anything to take a half a dozen drinks and get away with them. He will presently try the old game again, for he isn't happy about his sobriety. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. Then he will know loneliness such as few do. He will be at the jumping off place. He will wish for the end. So when I read this, 
and reviewed this. I think of, you know, my past. So many times I was like that. You know, when I, when I took the amphetamines, oh, man, I don't miss the food at all. When I jumped on the, on the pain weight scale, oh, I don't miss it at all. Um, just like this said, you know, I was dying inside to get a hit. You know, when life got, got on me, when my secrets and things that I suppressed for all those years started building up, I would die to get, get a hit. And I did want to kill myself. I wanted the end. I didn't want to be here. But that's all because I didn't deal with life. And I, I didn't have a spiritual awakening. I didn't, I didn't have a spiritual practice. I didn't have a way of life to dealing with the emotional life. I didn't have uh, the tools, a process, a program, something to keep my head clear and to keep that emotion down. And, you know, if I veer, like I always say, if I veer a degree to, to the right or the left, I could be right back in this place again. You know, through the 12 steps and, and working the steps, uh, working 10, living in 10, 11, and 12, you know, I'm, I'm close to God. I'm getting there. And all my warts and all my idiosyncrasies. And it's like, a, it's like a spiritual elixir. It just keeps that emotion down, and that obsession has been gone for over three years. So I can say I don't miss it at all right now. But that's predicated on, I worked this program. You know, I wasn't out there like a, like a maverick doing it on my own, like I did for 44 years. So you can get free. We, we all can get free if we work this program. And we work it honestly, like, like legit, and not hold anything back. You know, at least I had to do that. And it has given me a, a life beyond my wildest dreams with all the emotion and toil and struggle that life brings to me. So, that's all I got. You guys have a beautiful day. I'll pass. Love you. Thank you, Russ M. The line is now open for sharing on what we just read. Although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your share to every three days in order that others might share their experience so for us, that means if you shared on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday of last week, please step back and let others have their turn. And please, say your name just once. It helps me hear everybody. Who would like to share? Lisa B. Natalie M. Diane um, R. Kim G. Diane B. Okay, let me just tell you who I heard because I missed a couple of people. I have Lisa B, Natalie M, Diane B, Kim G. But I know I missed a couple of people. Irene Nessa M. R. Nessa R, and one more, please. Irene M. Okay, this is our lineup. Lisa B. Natalie M, Diane B, Kim G, Nessa R, and Irene B. 
So Lisa, could you please start us off, please? Good morning. Thank you, Lynn, for your service. My name is Lisa B, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina, and I do spell my name L-E-S-A. Um, I like where it says a serious drinker. So when I went to treatment uh, many years ago, it's because I could not stop binge eating. I thought, well, I knew that I was really in trouble, and I was so scared. Um, but, you know, I, I think I got the seriousness of it, but I didn't really get the hopelessness of it, that there is no cure for this, that um, this is a chronic, progressive, and fatal illness. And I didn't really get the fatality of it. So I took comfort of well, being in those four walls of the treatment center and uh, being able to kind of decompress and detox and get a food plan and leave with that food plan in my hand. And I really thought it was through the tools of the program. Um, I didn't really get into an OA meeting that was a healthy um, solution-based big book meeting until I came to a vision for you. So I had a five-year white-knuckle abstinence. And then I met my husband, and I thought all my problems were solved and that perhaps I was making too big of a deal of this problem that I was having with the food. And then I lived in that middle-of-the-road solution um, that there is a solution talks about, you know, um, I thought that if the outside things in my life would be better, that maybe if I went to enough meetings that things would get better or had a really good therapist. Um, and I could feel it breathing down my neck, that illness of compulsive overeating. And I could feel a binge that was going to be beyond all binges, that, that it would be there waiting for me. And then when I was led to this meeting, a vision for you, and I was able to meet a recovered compulsive overeater, and she took through, through the big book and she explained to me about the allergy of the body and its hopelessness and the spiritual solution of the big book and that the 12 steps treat my mind, which is where the whole problem has been, along with the allergy. So I just wanted to share that because I, I didn't know that that's really what the solution was. It says inwardly he would give anything to take a half dozen drinks. I thought white knuckle, white knuckle absence is as good as it could ever be. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa B. Natalie M., it's your turn, followed by Diane B. Please go ahead, Natalie. Good morning. This is Natalie M. from California. Um, yeah, I really related to this paragraph, especially where it says, someday you will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. And I remember coming into program and, you know, going through a dozen sponsors in uh, the first five years and, um, you know, w working the steps to three and then stop and then working them up to four and then stopping. And during that time, um, you know, sitting there like on a Friday night or whatever in my room with the shades drawn, a darkened room, arms crossed across my chest. No, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to binge. But terrified and not willing to pick up the phone, too proud to ask for help and, um, and miserable, you know, alone and don't have the food and don't have those emotional highs that I would get from the sugar. but not willing to connect with others, not having a strong connection with a higher power and all that other stuff. It wasn't until um, I actually kept showing up and kept going to meetings and um, interacting with fellows that 
eventually got that wall to come down and started um, interacting better with people in the rooms and creating a stronger connection with a higher power. And then all of a sudden it was like the sunlight of the spirit comes in and I'm not even missing the food and the emotional highs that it would give me. Um, more interested in serving others, um, serving higher power. And then all of a sudden, you know, life begins and it's much richer and fuller than I ever thought it would be. I didn't know that without the food, it could be, life could be a lot better. I, I just didn't know. And I'm so glad I took that risk, put the food down, trusted, kept working the steps. You know, I just finished the steps for the fourth time and they, every time reveal so much more um, and so helpful. It's just a new way of living. So um, I've been here about 20 years. And I continue to, I will continue to come, God willing, till the, till I, till I'm gone. And so welcome to any newcomers and keep coming back. Thanks. Thank you, Natalie M. Diane B. It's your turn, followed by Kim G. Please go ahead, Diane. Good morning. This is Diane B. from New Rochelle, New York. Gratefully recovered today. Um, So this paragraph reminds me of what life was like when I was on diets or when I was only being abstinent um, without having uh, work, without working the big book and all the steps. Um, There were days when I felt like I was jumping out of my skin because the cravings would come and they'd be really strong. So I realized at that point I couldn't live without the food. I couldn't live with the food. I just didn't know what I was going to do. So, of course, I'd put up a good front, you know, to save face. But eventually I would break down and then just start um, start cheating, you know, like when you're on a diet and it's like, okay, just today I'll have blah, 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 or just right now. Um, and then eventually the cheating got more, you know, closer together each time. And then I was sneak eating because I didn't want anyone to know what I was doing. Um, but eventually, you know, I would just totally give up. And um, so you know, it was like the starting gate was open and I was off to the races. There was like no way to stop me then. So I couldn't stop eating. The weight would return. And um, and then the humiliation and the shame moved back into my brain. It was like then it was then I would beat myself up and then I would eat more and then I'd beat myself up. I couldn't get out of that vicious cycle. It was really a nightmare for me. But today, I'm not doing this alone anymore. I'm no longer flying solo. I have a higher power who guides me. I have clear-cut directions in the big book. I understand that this is a disease, not a matter of my willpower, that this is not something that I asked for, although I've had it my whole life because I can remember being four years old and eating differently and wanting different foods than everybody else in my family and sneak eating those foods. Um, So, you know, I have clear-cut directions in the big book. I have my higher power. I have fellows in the program to support me and guide me. So I'm no longer alone. I am, like, so much better in my life. My head is clear. I no longer beat myself up. And if I do start to do that, I have 10 steps and 11 steps to uh, carry me through and to help me deal with that stuff. So I'm very, very grateful. Thank you for the opportunity to do service. I pass. Thank you, Diane B. And Kim G., it's your turn, followed by Nessa R. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G., and I've been recovered since January 2011. 
you know, I love this paragraph. You know, we often talk about hitting bottom, right? But what we say that means is you know, the number of DUIs we have, you know, the number of times I throw up in a day, the number of pounds I have to lose or gain. When I get those consequences, I'm going to, quote, unquote, hit bottom. But what I feel in my experience and what this paragraph is telling me, that it's not about a physical. It's about a mental and spiritual bottom. This beautiful language of presently going to meet the old game, not happy about sobriety, will be unable to imagine life with alcohol or without it. No loneliness such as if you do, jumping off place, wish for the end. That to me is the is description of a beautiful bottom. You know, what it's telling me here is my true problem is abstinence. You know, I remember being told in meetings, <clears throat> abstinence makes you feel better. Nothing tastes as good as abstinence feels. And I learned that lesson because you know what abstinence did for me? It made me feel better. It made me feel anxiety better. It made me feel depression better. On page 52, when you look at those bedevilments, those were my consequences of not eating. Those were the consequences of being untreated without a solution of food or the steps. Abstinence sucks. You know, I remember hearing a speaker say, I can tell I'm a compulsive overeater, not when I'm eating, but when I'm not eating. And I have to tell you, when I quote unquote hit my bottom, I didn't see it until after I was recovered. And what it was was I had an ankle injury that was really severe. I was bed bound. The only way I felt comfortable was I was laying in bed with, with four or five pillows elevating my ankle well above my heart. And I was sitting in bed and I just had to go to the bathroom so bad. And I just started crying thinking, I, I just want to go to the bathroom in my bed. I can't get up. I just can't do it one more, any, any more. And then 15 minutes later saying, I want spaghetti. And you know what I did? I got up out of that bed. I got my, um, my, uh, I forget the thing you call it, the walker. And I walked past my bathroom to my kitchen and sat there for the eight or nine minutes it took to boil that spaghetti where my leg is dangling in the most painful place, made my vat of spaghetti with a whole entire, you know, thing. I mean, enough for 10 people. And then I put it in Tupperware, took my walker, went back to my couch and was sweating from the pain and from the exhaustion of doing that. And started crying, going, my God, I'll do anything for food that I won't do for anything else. That at this point, food was my master. And let me tell you, I didn't recover because I hit bottom. I recovered because of the actions I took when I had no other options. So I just want to assure you that I know to the core of my being today, I'm a compulsive overeater. But let me also assure you that for the last nine years, because I took action, I have not suffered from compulsive overeating. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. And Nessa R., it's your turn, followed by Irene B. Please go ahead, Nessa. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. I just want to uh, jump on the bandwagon on the past couple of shares. Um, and talk about uh, not being able to imagine life with or without food. Um, because, like, I guess most people on the line, um, you know, I was in pain um, as a result of the food and my weight. And every time I couldn't stand the pain, I, I said, well, that's it. I'm done forever. And I meant it. And I would go on a diet. Or after I came into the rooms in 2003, um, I would become abstinent. But what would happen was 
um, you know, I would lose a little bit of weight and my clothes would start to feel better. I felt less bloated, so I felt better about myself and the pain would subside. And so that immediately opened the door to the food. And the reason why I kept doing that was because food never ceased to be an option for me. And when food is the option, is an option, it's going to be the only option. It's always going to be the path of least resistance because it's going to be a thing that brings me the fastest uh, uh, pleasure relief, um, you know, even though it doesn't last. It, 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 it's instantaneous. As soon as I put that bite of something in my mouth, it's like, ah, you know, and then the cycle starts over again. But when I got to that point, that jumping off point that we talked about in this paragraph, where I couldn't imagine through, uh, life with or without the food. For me, um, I define it as the pinnacle of pain, where the pain of being in the food is so much greater than the pain of not being in the food that I'm just ready to do everything. And as soon as food ceased to be an option, was totally off the table, that's when my recovery started. Um, and so how do I make sure that I don't go back to the, to the cycle when I get a little bit relieved and I fall off the wagon, you know, and the key here is to work the steps. It doesn't work without the steps. And, and, and it also has to be worked very, very quickly. And I was reading a, a paragraph with a sponsor yesterday um, that also gives me the key for how can I make sure that I stay at that point where the pain of being in the food is greater than the pain of not being in the food. Uh, it's in page 85, it says, the second paragraph, it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of a spiritual condition. So, you know, I got to capitalize on the pain. And the way to capitalize on the pain is only through these steps. It's only to the steps, you know, to work them to get recovered and continue working them to stay recovered. So um, I don't even open the door a crack to the food becoming an option for me ever again. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. And Irene B., it's your turn. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thank you so much for your service. I am Irene B., a gratefully recovering bulimic from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. When I read this paragraph, oh, my heart hurts. Pain comes into my soul. It hurts so bad that this person is in so much pain and he just wants king alcohol. For me, it was king food. And... um I, 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 it was a misery, but I couldn't come out of it, couldn't come out of it at all. And, um, and I'm, I'm so thankful that I followed the speaker before, because what I was going to say, this is what life would be for me without the steps. And not because of the steps that in and of themselves, but because I need a power greater than myself to help me get through this, to help me overcome this, to get past it, to destroy it, squash it, even if it is on a daily basis. Um, I just need that higher power. And 
on my own accord, that's what my life was until I came to the 12-step program. I wanted to get close to God. I sought God. I thought I was tight with God, but I couldn't do it on my own accord because I was on self-reliance, and on self-reliance, I'm limited by my own power, and that's no good. So I needed these 12 steps. I needed this program to overcome my desire for king food because I can tell you all honestly that there is not that as much as I couldn't imagine life without food in the bulimia today I cannot imagine my eating disorder in my life because the pain of it is too great. There is no way that I could go back to that because it hurts to feel everything, all my, to face my truth. It's difficult. But I'm not on self-reliance anymore. I am on God-reliance. Boy, I cling to my God because that's the only way I can Time, please. And with that, I will pass. Thank you for allowing me to share. Have a blessed day. Thank you, Irene B. For those of us who might have joined the meeting a little later, we are in the chapter of Vision for You on page 151, the last paragraph, now and then a serious drinker. So the line is now open for sharing on what we just read. Although we value yeah. your Experience, we ask that you limit your share to every three days in order that others might share their experience too. So for us, that means if you shared on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday of last week, please step back and let others have a turn. And please say your name just once. It helps me hear everyone. Who would like to share? Do I Okay, I heard Du L and Courtney M. Who else? Susan A. Annalise. Mary Kay. Okay, thanks. I've got our lineup. And there was a lady, I couldn't make out her name. It sounded like Annalise, but let's tell I'll tell you who I do have. I have Du L, Courtney M, Susan A. Sally A, I believe, and Larry K. And who did I miss? Anna Lee. Um, Anna Lee. There, I think that's it, if I'm hearing it right. Okay, yes. Duell, could you start us off, please, followed by Courtney M. Please go ahead, Du. Good morning. This is Duell, uh, Recover Compulsive Overeater from New York. Um, I tell you, I love this paragraph because it tells my story. Um, you know, it says being dry at the moment, we tell ourselves, I don't miss it at all. I feel better and work better. And it's true. You know, if I put down my alcoholic foods and, and when I first came into this program, I put alcohol first down. And I remember I felt a little bit better, but 
you know, because I did not work the steps for three years in Alcoholics Anonymous, I was having this dilemma of, you know, of feeling like I can't live without alcohol, but I, I can't survive without it either. And then later on, I worked the steps and I did feel much better in that program. After that, my addiction transferred to food and for another three years, now this time, what happened to me was that I was not entirely abstinent. Um, I practiced abstinence to the degree that I understood abstinence at that time. And I did feel better and I lost weight and I was working the steps and I was going to uh, big book study meetings and I was doing all of those things, but I could not recover to save my life. I could not have the experience that these people were talking about about having that spiritual awakening and having the life that I yearned for. And what I realized that abstinence, being dry is not enough. Being, uh, you know, first you have to be entirely abstinent. That's different from just being abstinent, you know? And I had to learn that I had to be entirely abstinent for me to grasp what these people had to offer. And then I had to take actions to back up that abstinence because abstinence, entire abstinence, not just abstinence, because people abstain from all sorts of different things, but they're not entirely abstinent. So entire abstinence means I need to get rid of everything so that I could be clear. My mind can be clear. Everything can be clear so that I could work these steps the way they're designed to, because I'm not going to want to work these steps if I'm not clear. And, and so, when I did that, I had what this big book talks about, this spiritual awakening. I had the life that I always yearned for. And I tell you, it's, it is possible. Um, first, you need to be entirely abstinent. Second, you need to work the program. And working the program means going through the steps the way they're designed to have that experience. And it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee that you will come out of it if you do and follow the directions that are clear cut here. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Duel. And Courtney M., it's your turn, followed by Susan. Please go ahead, Courtney. Hi, this is Courtney M., uh, gratefully recovering in Southwest Florida. Um, so, <clears throat> Uh, first, I have to I have to share with you something funny. I actually unmuted myself to speak, and I never said my name, and you heard me anyway. <laughs> That's kind of one of those God moments. Anyway, um, yeah, in this paragraph, the I I read this this morning, and it really spoke to me about the um, inwardly he would give anything to take half a dozen drinks and get away with them and unfortunately i that i identify with that 100 percent because i have been entirely absent i've been semi-absent i've been not absent at all i've done every version of that and there was always that little disease voice in the back of my head that that just just I just want I just want I just 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 a, I just want a bite um, you know a bite won't hurt me 
Um, I just wanted to be able to get away with it and be okay. And um, this is a big, big part of what I'm going through right now as I'm working in my program and working through the steps is dealing with acceptance. And for me, acceptance also means accepting the fact that that's not, that's not going to be okay for me. That's not going to be safe for me. I can't do that stuff as much as maybe a normal person, a bite wouldn't hurt a normal person. Unfortunately, that's just not how I'm built. And I have to accept that. And it sucks, but it is what it is. And, um, you know, fighting it. I fought it for, I'm 45 this year. I've been fighting it for, God, what's it been? 35 years, I guess, really. And uh, I don't want to fight it anymore. I just have to accept it. And I have to take it in the day and uh, and keep it in the day. And I think uh, if I just keep connecting with my higher power and accepting that he made me this way and there's a reason for it. And maybe it's just so that I can help somebody else. And that's a blessing. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Courtney M. And Susan A., I believe, followed by Sally. Please go ahead, Susan. Hi, thank you so much for your service. This is Susan A., a recovered compulsive overeater from Pennsylvania. This reading uh, reminded me of the unmanageability that comes from applying my best thinking to trying to achieve recovery from food addiction and what is the end result, which um, as you see in the last two sentences, um, he will be at a jumping off point. And what I learned growing up from my parents modeling was to make myself look good from the outside. And then the unwritten rule was, and the unwritten modeling, there was no need to attend to my insides, my emotional, spiritual, or relational self. Just attend to my physical looks and living in a good looking house, going to a good enough college, dating uh, guys whose credentials were good, and the way this thinking affected me with, in my relationship with the food was um, I ended up developing once I was, well, before OA and then after also, to develop two processes. The first was to eat what I wanted and then compulsively exercise, often to the point of injuring myself. And this led to surgeries, many doctor bills, and countless physical therapy and permanent bodily harm. The other way I learned to keep my outsides looking good and my insides unfortunately a mess were um, smoking cigarettes and drinking, believe it or not, to avoid eating and to keep my weight down. With these strategies, I did keep my weight at an average weight until childbirth days but my life became totally unmanageable. Um, by applying my best thinking and the lessons my parents taught me, that was the result. It wasn't until I was introduced to vision that I was taught that the solution is, the in, is from the inside out, 
my emotional, spiritual, and relational self need to be to grow and to heal. And this is done for me and I see others through the big book steps and by connecting with my higher power daily to maintain entire abstinence and to grow my recovery. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Courtney M. And oh, sorry, I beg your pardon. That was Susan A., I believe. Yes, it was. Thank you. Thank you. And now it's time for Sally. And I believe that is Sally A. as well. Yes. Hi. Good morning. Thank you, Margarita. Sally A. from New Jersey. Um, I'll be a little self-centered. I'm only sharing on this paragraph because it has my name in it. We smile at such a Sally. <laughs> so I had to share. Um, you know, I'm still recovering. I'm not quite there yet. So I can really relate to these feelings of, you know, I can't even imagine what my life would be like without these substances that I've been so adapted to, you know, live on and cope with my whole life, you know, including um, infancy. My mom told me that even as a baby, I would cry if sugar was not in my milk bottle. So, um, this is a, it's a monster of a disease to battle, and I know it's one day at a time, and I love that this chapter is called A Vision for You, and this meeting is called A Vision for You, because I, I can't envision my life without it. You know, even at this day, I'm recovering. I'm not yet recovered, uh, but I'm going on the hope of you guys. I'm going on the hope that all of you that are recovered are sharing so beautifully every day with us of what your life is like now without these essential substances that I thought were essential, you know, uh, for my survival. Um, and so um, I just take it one day at a time and trust that, you know, in this recovery process that I can look back and think, wow, you know, I actually became recovered. I mean, this stuff really does work. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sally A. And Larry Kay, it's your turn followed by, I believe, Anna Lee. Please go ahead, Larry. Good morning, Lynn. Thank you so much for your service, Larry K. Recovered this morning. You know, the, the, um, when I read these paragraphs, you know, I'm reminded that the steps, they, they reorient me uh, spiritually. They give me access to power. And there can be no reorientation, you know, without my willingness to be reoriented. Um, in other words, I can prevent this this transformation from occurring even while working the steps. I can prevent this transformation from occurring. And how do I do that? Well, the big book reminds me that selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. And the steps when followed move me from a, uh, you know, from a self-orientation to a God orientation. And my participation in the recovery process, well, that's up to me. Because no one gets across this bridge to freedom with a knife and a gavel and a sheriff's badge, you know, so to speak, in their hand. You know, in the process of spiritual transformation, it, it, when it's not followed, you, you can be thin, you know, whistling a catchy tune um, on the bridge, yet still wielding your knife or pounding your gavel. You know, and I'm, I'm, I remember hearing an analogy. I'll, it wasn't applied to this, but I'm going to use it towards this. You know, imagine a room that's, in, um, that's engulfed, awash in gasoline. 
And there's two, you know, there's two individuals in that room that we'll call them two overeaters, compulsive overeaters. They're, they're in our fellowship. And they were given a match for every day of abstinence. And one of them has 9,000 matches not recovered. The other has 7,000 matches also not recovered as a result of these steps. And each of them is concerned about who's ahead, who's stronger, who's, you know, and I think sometimes we look at our days of abstinence and we wear them like a, you know, we hold them up like a trophy. Yet in our heart of hearts, I knew that I wasn't recovered. Whatever this recovered state was described, that state of being, I wasn't in that state of being and I knew it. And I, I could have all, all the coins and the matches, but my house was awash in gasoline. And it didn't really matter how many days that I had. I think it's, it's the process, though, is available to anybody. It, there's nobody, nobody that, uh, that, that's separated from this, this access to power. I haven't met that person yet that's separated, that's, that it's impossible. I know the big book talks about the unfortunate few that can't be, you know, they're constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves, but I've yet to meet that person. Now, I've met a lot of people that are, that are unwilling to do the work. Their fears get in the way. There, there's, a, there's a resentment they won't let go of. There's a, you know, a secret they won't tell. There's a vicarious thrill they won't put down and amend they won't make. I've met lots of people. I was one of those people. Thank you, Lynn. With that, I pass. Thank you, Larry Kay. And I believe it's Anne, Anne Lee, maybe? Hi, yes, this is Anna Lee in Canada. Anna Lee, um, and the initial of your last name, please. Is L. Anna Lee L. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, and recovered bulimic. And a um, little nervous sharing here, but I wanted to share in this paragraph when he talks about he fools himself. I had first come to OA uh, in 2005. I didn't spend a whole lot of time in the rooms, just enough to realize that there were nice people and there was a chance that maybe someday I'd like myself, which was news to me. I didn't actually realize how much I disliked myself. But life got busy and I didn't come back for about three years. Uh, By the time I graduated from nursing school, I was actively bulimic and trying to maintain appearances, um, but binging like crazy over the stress of trying to hold it all together. But this time I knew where to go and I went to OA and I became abstinent. But I didn't really work the steps. Uh, I I got thin, I lost the weight, and I did the bare minimum. I went to meetings, I had a sponsor, didn't talk to her a whole lot. Um, But I maintained that weight for two years and, and was quite content that I had achieved my goal. We moved and I decided to be gentle with myself And that gentleness led me right back to the food. Uh, I didn't even panic when I relapsed. I didn't even realize I was panicking because I'd never had that level of accountability. Um, So by the end, I I had hot tamales in the door of the car while I went into an OA meeting so I could come back out and finish them on the way home. And uh, eventually I just stopped going to the meetings. I spent five years back in the food. And eventually, um, after life became very, very unmanageable, I decided to try and get back into shape. And I knew I'd given up sugar before because of OA, but this time I tried to do it on my own without OA. Um, I remember trying Beachbody because of somebody, and there was a group of people, and I thought, well, this is it. You have support, and you have a plan, and you have all these people. And, and they had the 21-day fix, and I could not make 21 days. 
I just could not make 21 days without junk food and without the, the junk food runs. Um, but every day you were supposed to post, so I'd have to try and turn it around into how it was a positive thing and how I was learning from this. And, you know, you eat junk, you feel like junk and everything else. Um, I did get in slightly better shape, enough that actually I ended up becoming a personal trainer. But again, um, my disease was with me, and I was trying to, now I had the pressure of trying to maintain my appearances. My job depended on it. Everybody was looking to me to be how you get in shape, how you lose weight, and um, I ended up becoming bulimic again. It was the first time I'd been bulimic since I joined OA in 2008. And now I was scared because this time I really, I realized that all these years later, I was in the exact same place I'd been when I first joined and, and became absent in 2008. For me, it was my jumping off place. When I came back to OA in 2015, I suddenly realized I wasn't just powerless over food. My life time, was unmanageable. Thank you. Um, sorry, new at this, and life is much better today. Pass. Thank you, Anna Lee L. We have time for two more shares. Who would like those spots? Maria F. Maria F. Anyone else? Maya K. Maya K. Perfect. Maria F. Please go ahead. Thank you, Lynn. Good morning. My name is Maria F. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from County Dublin in Ireland. Yeah, by golly, I can really relate to this paragraph. Yeah, and yeah, I remember thinking that, you know, being on the diet and being abstinent was enough, that that was great. And the truth is that I, on any day, could have been stark, stark rave and abstinent, you know, on those diets and always feeling like I was hanging onto a cliff, you know, um, white knuckliness, saying, you know, I won't have it today, I won't have it today, you know, and trying to talk myself into controlling the food, you know, this self-talk of thinking that I, I had power, that I'd be able to keep to the diet, and I could never keep to the diet. And what it says here, the truth was that I would have given anything to be able to have the food and get away with it, yeah, to have the food and not have the physical consequences. And, um, yeah, I came into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous because I just couldn't stand being with my head. I just couldn't be in my head. Um, and and like we shared earlier, you know, it's in absence that I'm irritable, restless and discontent, you know, because I no longer have the crutch. I don't have the crutch. And, and think of when I came into OA first that um, that uh, what I followed was an abstinent uh, plan and yes it was and, 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 and I worked the steps but it was only through vision that I found what entire absence was and it's very different and my absence today is very different um, yeah, and today I need to get the effects from the steps that I got from the food you know they have to come from the steps and from working the steps daily and working them every day and remain in a fit spiritual condition that's what the book tells me um, and I don't get a day off you know, I don't get a day off if it's my birthday or if it's Christmas Day, you know. I work at 365 days a year. And, and as I've heard, you know, wash, rinse and repeat. Just get up and do the same thing today. You know, I'm a bit tired today. And, um, and yeah, I still, I still do what I do for my spiritual well-being because otherwise food will look like an option. You know, it looks like an option and I don't want that today. So I want to be with you all guys in recovery. So thanks very much. I leave time on the clock. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Maria F. And Maya K., it's your turn. Please go ahead. 
press star one to unmute, Maya. Hello, um, Maya Kay, re- recovered bulimic, um, compulsive overeater from New York. Um, this chapter is really good to hear. It uh, reminds me of um, a space I was in like 25 years ago where I felt like unsafe wherever I was. Um, I just I couldn't stop eating. I felt like I needed to be locked up, you know. And so I got myself locked up in a an eating disorder unit where they measured and weighed and everything for me. And then, you know, it was a I was at a normal weight. And then, but they knew I was still pretty messed up because I was still terrified. I was terrified of myself, what I could do to myself with food. And I had been in OA, and like what I've heard people say, you know, when I relapsed in OA, it got progressively worse. I became a worse bulimic, and um, it was horrible. And um, when I I ended up staying on the unit just for mental, you know, just because I I was still so depressed. And um, I stayed there, and uh, the only thing that helped me was when I could eventually go to OA meetings from the unit. And uh, I think always the only thing that's really ever saved my life and and helped me become less self-centered and not like, you know, oh, look at me, look at me, but more like um, just not so depressed and always so, you know, just hating life and just trying to make peace with life is what, what always helped me do and with God and, and, uh, and, you know, focusing outward instead of inward. And every day I just follow the instructions in the big book. Even if my mind is telling me, oh, you're not doing good enough, I just wake up and I follow the directions with, you know, saying, God, direct my thinking. And, uh, you know, I say all the prayers and turn my food over to my sponsor and uh, don't eat my alcoholic foods. I just stay grateful for what I've been given in my abstinence. I just keep that in mind. I make my calls. I know I'm going to have to do a 10th step at the end of the day, at the end of the night, which I want to skip every night, and I don't. You know, and uh, that's getting me through. And without that structure, I would have been eating 25 years ago. And thank God I have people to give service to, my daughter. And, you know, people are, you know, my boyfriend, I mean, they're all doing their own thing, and it's not what I would do, but I'm, you know, this program's keeping me sane, thank God. I say prayers for people. I do service when I can. Thank God for this program and that we have it, and the directions are in there, and I'm just so glad we can keep rereading it and doing more. I'm, like, excited to go home and now read just the step book, because I remember how exciting it was when I first read it. So thanks for letting me share. God bless everybody. Thank you, Maya Kay. Thank you to everyone who shared, and thank you to our marvelous team Monday. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share ID for today's meeting, Monday, April the 20th, 7 a.m., is 14471. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Elizabeth B. please read 
a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Sure. <clears throat> My name is Elizabeth D., uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Thank you for your service, Lynn. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose to more, to more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot tr- transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.